Father, we just thank you that you are here in our midst. And Jesus, we just want to fix our eyes on you afresh. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us today. And I pray that you just position our hearts in a, in a place that will hear you and will receive you this morning and will walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. So if you've got a Bible, um, let's turn together to Genesis 26. I think it's going to come up on the screen too. Genesis 26, verse 12, on to 22. So this is the story of Isaac. And we start in verse 12. It says, that year, Isaac's crops were tremendous. Now, just, let's just stop there a minute. What's amazing about this verse is that you skip back to verse 1 of chapter 26. And it says, there was a, a severe famine had struck the land. So the fact that it says here that that year, Isaac's crops were tremendous. He harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted for the Lord had blessed him, is a miracle. Amen. He became a rich man and his wealth only continued to grow. He acquired large flocks of sheep and goats, great herds of cattle and many servants. But soon the Philistines became jealous of him and they filled up all of Isaac's wells with earth. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. And Abimelech asked Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too rich and powerful for us. So Isaac moved to the Gerar Valley and lived there instead. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac renamed them, using the names Abraham had given them. His shepherds also dug in the Gerar Valley and found a gushing spring, but then the local shepherds came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Argument because they'd argued about it with him. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again there was a fight over it, so Isaac named it Opposition. Abandoning that one, he dug another well, and the local people finally left him alone. So Isaac called it Room Enough. For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be able to thrive. Great. So this passage is um, about God's blessing on Isaac. He was a blessed man. He, he carried the favor of God, and, and God was at work in his midst. But it's also a message about wells. I want to ask you, has anyone ever heard a sermon about wells before? Oh, quite a few. That's cool. I, have, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about wells before, so I was quite excited about this one. And the reason we um, are wanting to look at wells this morning is because we really believe that God has given Hope Church a well and that recently he's been unlocking that well again. Who, who was at the conference just a few weeks ago with Seth and Julian? Great. Quite a few of us. And I guess at that conference, something really significant happened, which I'm going to talk about in a minute for those that weren't there. But also, who has been experiencing something in our worship and in our midst over the last few weeks that is significantly different? Yeah? 
Yeah, so basically at the conference on the Saturday night, um, we had an amazing conference with Julian and Seth, our guest speakers. And on the Saturday night, um, we had a time of worship and really, you know, our, our church health assessment actually said that um, people often experience the presence of God in our worship. It's something that we're, you know, it is kind of in our midst all the time. But on that Saturday night, we kind of went from a place of experiencing the presence of God to kind of really a much more weighty kind of glory of God place. And those that were there would, would, you know, just really say that on that Saturday night, there was just something like the presence of God was really heavy in our midst, wasn't he? And there was a really um, tangible, like just tangible feeling of him being here. And there was something really weighty about it. And on the Sunday afterwards, like, you know, we came into church and again, it was like the worship was just absolutely incredible. There was such a freedom in the worship. There was such a unity amongst us. And we really went to a deep, deep place. And um, someone who hadn't been at the conference said to me, oh, my goodness, that there's something different about our worship this morning. You know, people who hadn't even been there noticed kind of the difference. Um, Julian, who then prophesied over us the following uh, day, said that, you know, he, he had, there was just... He's very rarely experienced that kind of, um, that depth of, of, of presence and intimacy in worship. It's, it's, you know, it's very rare. And it actually reminded him of, he said it reminded him of the early days of hope, which is cool. And Rachel, I don't think Rachel's here this morning, but she also shared a bit of a snippet of um, worship on that night on our Hope Church Family Facebook page. Did anyone hear it? Yeah. And um, she shared it because we, we were with her the, the weekend before and, and she said, oh, listen, like, listen to this. I captured it on my phone and she played it. We were like, oh, it's just like amazing. Like you kind of get goosebumps. And she said, um, oh, you know, I went into work on, on the Monday and I, and I played this to my colleague, non-Christian colleague. I, I just decided I'd play it to my colleague. And she, and she was like, what is that? Sounds like angels, you know. Like absolutely incredible. She could she could sense something special about it. You know, she could sense something. She didn't know what it was, but she could sense something. And so we encouraged Rachel to post it on the Hope Family page. You know, we really believe that we have reopened um, Hope. You know, a well that Hope Church has been digging for a long time. But we need to be aware, I guess, as a family that. The enemy doesn't really like our well, <laughs> does he? Um, and we read in this passage, you know, that the Philistines, the enemy to the Israelites, filled the well because they knew the significance of the well, and they filled it with earth. And in verse 20, the local shepherds argued over the spring and the well. And in verse 21, they fought over it, and these wells were named argument and opposition. And so we're going to look a little bit about the importance of protecting our well and keeping our well unblocked and what that looks like for us as a, as a family. But before we do, I just want to tell us, talk, talk a little bit more just about wells. So wells have long been of great strategic importance, especially in the arid east arid parts of the east. Now, we're all used to in the West kind of just going and turning a tap on and 
having as much water as we want, having a shower every morning or a bath, you know, like water is not a problem for us. I work for tier funds, so I know that there are many countries across the world where water is scarce and that actually water is hard to come across, that, that young girls like walk miles and miles and miles for water every single day. Um, and that's because water is something that really sustains us. It sustains life. It gives us life to our families, to our communities. And at this time, you know, when you think about the community, kind of, of Isaac's community and, and those communities, wells would become a really focal point in the community because they needed the well to be able to give water to their family, to be able to give water to their animals and to their livestock and to be able to water their crops. And so water really became a matter of life and death for them. You know, medics sort of say that you can live without food for about three weeks, but you can't live without water more than three or four days. Water is essential to life. And, you know, in those times, we were sort of talking about the physical well and how the physical well was important in their community to get the water. But in the New Testament, Jesus goes and meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And, um, you know, he, they're obviously going to collect water as well, the physical water. But Jesus starts to talk about water being like a spring of life within us and kind of the spiritual aspect of the fact that he gives us water that will give us everlasting life, that we'll never be thirsty again if we, if we drink of his water. And that is really the water that we kind of experience as we kind of gather and congregate and we dig our well and we allow it to kind of flow. This, these streams of living water flow in our midst that give life that bring healing, that bring freedom, that bring restoration, that flow through and, and you know, really do an amazing work amongst us. Now, I guess what I wanted to say was wells for me, like, wells aren't just dug overnight. The thing about wells is that the deeper the well so the deeper you dig a well physically, the cooler the water, because you go down into the earth, it's hot at the top and lukewarm, and then you, you dig deep and it's really cool water. And the, the deeper you dig a well, the greater the abundance. And the deeper you dig a well, the higher the quality of the water, the purer it is. But the digger you deeper well, the more it will cost you in manpower, in resource, in time, and in effort. It took tremendous effort and manpower for Isaac and his men to dig these wells. I think it's funny because over the, the course of five verses, they dig three wells. It's quite quick, but it wouldn't have been that quick. We kind of take for granted that, you know, or they just dug another well and, and then there was an argument and then they just dug another well and they bickered over that one. So they just dug a third well. But let me tell you that those wells would have taken a lot of manpower. They would have taken a lot of digging and commitment. And I think it's the same with spiritual wells. You don't just dig a well overnight. 
And I really believe that as a church, we have been digging this well for a long time and we've experienced the well and, and, and but we've experienced a new kind of um, a new depth to that well in the last few weeks and and I just want to kind of just start by just I just want to honor a couple of groups of people in that you know I, I kind of want to honor everyone in this church because we're all amazing we all do amazing things to make Hope Church what it is but in terms of this I really feel that there are two groups that um, have really helped us to dig this deep well that we are benefiting from. And that is the worship team. Our worship team are just, are just amazing. We are so blessed by the worship in Hope Church. And you know, not, not everyone knows, but I know that the worship team have met like for a long time, like weekly on a Monday, they would meet and what I've never been, but what, what, what I understand of it is that um, it's not really like any other church. You know, like normally in a church, you'd go to a worship practice and it would be like a practice, you know, a real practice. Like they meet and they actually just worship. They just worship together. They just worship God together. And because of that, there's a unity in that group. And there's a depth of just focus on, on God and, and praise that they bring into our midst when they, when they worship and when they lead us into the presence of God. And the second group is actually our leaders, our, our elders, our leadership team at Hope. And that is because, you know, they really prioritize the presence of God. That's a priority for, for us as a church. It's part of our values, the presence, and it's part of what they prioritize in their actions that they prioritize really digging into the presence of God and letting everything flow from the fact that we are just in the presence of God and allowing everything else to flow from that place. And so can we just honor those two groups of people? Can we just honor them? And you can pass that on to anyone that wasn't here this morning who are, who are part of either of those teams. So really, we want to stay in this place. We want to stay in this place of ad- abundance and um, the presence of God. And when Seth was here, we, we asked him as a, as a team, we asked him, um, how, how do we keep experiencing this? We want to stay in this place. We want to stay in this place of kind of glory and um, amazingness. And... Uh, he said, he said to us, well, you've got to be aware of that there are three things that can block wells. Number one is unforgiveness. Number two is wrong or bad attitudes. And number three is busyness and being distracted by the wrong things. And so we're just going to take some time to look at those three things this morning. When I was kind of preparing for this, I was really led to kind of two um, of these things more than the third. So we're just, we're going to knock off the third one because I think it's important to say, but we're not going to kind of linger on it too much. But, you know, when he sort of talked about, um, you know, one of the things that can block, the well, block our well is, is by being busy or being distracted by the wrong thing. I was thinking about how, as a church, you know, as a corporate body, kind of we're, we're called to fulfill a unique hope-shaped purpose, you know? Like every, 
Every church is called to be church, and there's things, there's ingredients about church that make church, church. But there's also, I think, God places assignments and vision and purpose on churches to have a particular call and a particular purpose. And so it was really encouraging kind of, um, you know, going to the prayer uh, time together this weekend because we were able to read prophetic words that have been spoken over, over Hope Church they were up on the wall. We could just read them and pray into them and claim them and kind of say, agree that we want to step into them. And we were able to read the five-year vision and the 10-year vision and the 40-year vision. And it was encouraging because you sort of look at the vision and you see the prophetic words kind of in the vision, which is always encouraging. <laughs> but, you know, you can see the alignment of like the, the prophetic words that have been spoken into us and that obedience to kind of try and walk in those and express those in the vision that we have as a church. And I'd really encourage you if you, you know, if you went there or, you know, ask, ask to see those prophetic words, ask to see the five-year and the 10-year and the 40-year vision because it's really, really exciting. But the thing about vision is that it really focuses the mind, doesn't it? It focuses, kind of like we're walking in this way. And I think the thing about church is that we kind of have to do everything in the Bible. We don't get to opt out of things in the Bible. As Christians, we have to kind of do everything that the Bible teaches. And we need to, for example, really honor the fivefold ministry of the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the shepherd and the teacher. We don't get to kind of opt out of one of those. We need to build up and honor and walk in those ways. But in terms of kind of ministry and, um, you know, what we end up doing practically, actually, we can't actually do everything as a church. We can't be all things to all men because you kind of dilute things. And so I guess I just wanted to say that, you know, in this, when when we're focused on a vision, it might mean that we say no to certain things because we need to say yes to other things. And as a church, we need to sort of get kind of united together, focusing on that direction and being okay to say no to certain things because actually sometimes we're called to certain things personally in our personal calling and life that we're meant to walk in and that we're meant to support one another in, but maybe it doesn't come in under the umbrella of kind of the church ministry, do you know? And so I guess like in terms of, you know, in terms of our world, I, I think God is just sort of saying to us that we need to, we need to stay focused on the vision and not be distracted by being all things to all men or trying to encompass absolutely everything because we've got a unique hope-shaped hole that we need to fill and allow other churches to kind of fulfill their shape. And so I just really encourage us to, you know, let, let's, let's push towards that vision together and get on board. So the next two are um, about unforgiveness and bad attitudes. Never very nice topics to talk about. Always pick the hard ones. <laughs> go, go me. <laughs> But what I felt like, what I felt with this was, um, I just felt like there was, there's no coincidence that we have like really sort of uncovered this well and been experiencing something of God's amazing blessing to us as a church at the same time as 
really pushing into this church health assessment. And I think for me, I just it, it struck me as soon as as soon as it happened at the weekend, I thought that's really funny because I think it was literally the Wednesday before we'd met together as a church to look at the health, the church health assessment results. For those that aren't aware, we've kind of gone through this process of um, looking at 15 areas of our church life, of church life. Anthony's been leading it for us. And we all fed into how we felt like we were doing in the 15 areas of church life. And it got pulled together in a survey. And we looked at the results together. And we, you know, we really did some you know, we're on a process of doing some self-examining and looking at kind of what's working really well and what are the areas that we need need to look at and need to look at fixing. And I really felt like it was kind of no coincidence that we'd looked at those health, like, survey results, maybe on the Wednesday or the Wednesday before, and then at the weekend, we'd had this amazing, kind of amazing experience. And I just really felt like it was, you know, you could... You could kind of go, oh, but God is just blessing us, and let's just focus on this amazing blessing. Let's kind of think, we can just forget all that because really God's doing this. But, you know, to me that would be foolish, wouldn't it? Because it would be like the man that looked in the mirror, saw something wrong, and then went away and didn't change anything about his appearance. You know, but equally you could go the other way and you could go, we're just going to focus on all of these things that need and sort of lose sight of actually what God is doing in our midst. And I just feel like God was, has been really gracious because he's kind of saying to us that he is with us, that he loves Hope Church, that he has got amazing things for us and he's doing amazing things in our midst. But we are also committed to trying to kind of fix some of the things that we need to kind of focus on to make ourselves great. So... Um, I, I work for Tear Fund, as I said, and uh, I've had the privilege over the last few years of, of leading two teams in, in Tear Fund. I started by, it was quite funny actually, they gave, they gave me two teams, and I suddenly realized after a little while that every other team leader only had one team. And I thought, hang on a minute, this isn't fair. <laughs> so I was leading two teams. Anyway, God was doing really amazing things in these two teams. He was really blessing us. We were really growing massively. And it became really clear that actually those two teams needed to split and they needed to become their own teams because they were focused on different things. And um, it made much more sense for one team to be a particular team and then another team to be another team. And so we went through a change process to... um, to look at kind of how, how we did that and how we made one area of our work really flourish a lot more. It had loads of potential and it just needed some, some changing. And then after we did that, I then started leading the other team that was left. And again, we've just really grown and seen God's blessing in our work amazingly. And, um, and so we were like, actually, we've sort of inherited this kind of structure and this thing where it, it kind of works, but it's not really optimal. And actually, if we want to go for great, we really need to do some, do some changes and do some structural changes and things. And so I've just been through another change process, which is tiring, but amazing, you know? And I guess the reason I say that is because the thing about change is change isn't necessarily fun, is it? Um, we don't do it for fun. Um, and, and also, like, because change takes time and energy and resource and commitment. 
and you kind of, you can actually sort of decide, you know, do we want to be mediocre or do we want to be great? And if we want to be great, then we've got to invest in kind of in change, really, and, and, in, and taking ourselves and our time and, and our energy to doing that. And I think the exciting thing is, is that actually, as a church, we have decided that we don't want to be mediocre. We don't want to settle for kind of just mediocre, mediocrity and the status quo. We want to go for being great. And so we've embraced this like process of saying, actually, God's doing amazing things. Let's celebrate that. Let's keep moving in that. But let's also look at what we need to do to kind of fix some of the things that have been, um, you know, that, that need fixing, that need some attention. And let's look at how we need to resource those things, how we need to honor those things how we need to give these things more time and attention. So, and the reason we, we want to be great isn't because we want to be the best church or because we want man's praise or anything like that, but it's because we actually really want to reflect God's glory, don't we? We want, we want to, God is great. God is great. And we want to reflect his greatness in all that we are. So as, as I was asking God for a passage kind of to follow on from... Um, looking at the well, I was really t- brought to, um, I turned to Philippines 3, verse 12 to 14. And it says, this is, so this is Paul talking, and the, the, the passage is entitled, Pressing Towards the Goal. So Philippians 3, 12 to 14, it says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, or that I've already reached perfection, but I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I'm still not all I should be, but I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. Isn't that cool? And really felt like actually that was a that was a word for us as individuals but it was also a word for us corporately as a church because you know what we realize is as humans and as a church we're not perfect but what we are is we're striving towards the goal and we're striving towards Jesus and we're striving to be better people to reflect more of God's glory and we're striving to do more of what God has called us to do and as he wants us and so you know I guess the thing in that is that um much like how dead how wells aren't dug overnight we don't actually we never reach perfection but we don't reach perfection overnight do we it takes us it takes us time and it takes work and um, I think the key thing is that we, we look as, as individuals and as a, as a body to be pointing in the right direction. So focusing our energies on looking forward to what is ahead and committed to and embracing the process of, of wanting to strive for more of who, who God has called us to be. But the thing is, where there is imperfection, like in this passage, like Paul is really honest about, I haven't reached perfection, and we never will reach perfection because we all fall short of God's glory. But where there is imperfection, there is a need for grace. 
and for bearing with one another, for making allowance for each other's faults, for loving one another, and for standing together in unity as we work to get in there. And in Colossians 3, also verses 12 to 14, it says, Since God chose you to be holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect unity. So there are two things in here, love and forgiveness. And love, you know, it talks about love, how we must how we must love one another because love is what binds us together in perfect harmony and love is really the greatest commandment isn't it you know jesus said love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your brother as yourself love each other and actually on friday um at the prayer meeting rachel um we were doing declarations at the end and and she declared she said I declare that hope will be known for its love. I'm paraphrasing, but hope will be known as a people who love and will be known for its love. You know, Jesus says, doesn't he, that um, the world will know you as his disciples by the way that we love one another. And there is is love. There is so much love in our midst. But I just want to kind of call us again to be people who will love, who will love one another and who will stand with one another. And then forgiveness, which I guess is the thing that um, Seth was saying can block wells. Forgiveness has been a bit of a recurring theme for me this week, so I kind of knew that it probably was what God wanted to say. (laughs) I had to forgive a lot. No. (laughs) Um, No, I was was talking to a friend, and um, we were talking about ministry, and she was saying that... um, she was saying, you know, there, there's someone who, who wants freedom, who wants to be free from something. But we were talking about how we have to recognize that when we want freedom, we have to be willing, quite often, we have to be willing to forgive before we find our freedom. That there's something powerful about forgiveness that just unlocks something and it lo- unlocks freedom. And then I was also reminded of, um, I went for ministry um, for something and I remember being emailed by the the ministry who who were taking us all for it was like corporate ministry about an an area and they emailed and they said before you come for ministry we need you to do one thing one piece of homework and that is you need to take some time you need to sit and you need to ask God if there's anyone that you need to forgive because forgiveness will block kind of something that God wants to do in you. And so it's really important that you get your heart right and that you forgive. And then Janice posted on the Hope Family page um, about the Amber Geiger um, situation. Did, you see, did people see that? And this amazing testimony of a, of a man, of a young boy who had lost his brother because um, a police officer had gone into his flat thinking it was her flat and shot him dead and there was the trial, and the young, the young, the brother of the man who was killed just, just, like, sat there and said, I just want to forgive her, and, because that's what God would do for me, 
I want to I want to extend my forgiveness to her and then you know said I want can I hug her in the middle of this trial can I hug her and the power of forgiveness that broke something was incredible not only was she kind of set free but he he was set free too right because forgiveness does that and your fellowship with God flows freely when you're willing to forgive but it can get blocked by unforgiveness and Jesus is really clear about unforgiveness in Matthew 6 uh, verse 14 to 15 he says if you forgive those who sin against you your heavenly father will forgive you but if you refuse to forgive others your father will not forgive your sins ouch your heavenly father will forgive you but if you refuse to forgive others your father will not forgive your sins and I think that is for us personally and corporately unforgiveness creates a blockage for our relationship with the father and as the result has the potential to block wells and I think it can block wells in our own personal life to not seeing freedom and there just being a disconnect but it can also block our corporate well if there is unforgiveness in our midst I guess what I wanted to sort of say in this is that you know, unforgiveness, can, it feels like this really heavy, weighty kind of topic because it is, it's, you know, unforgiveness is sin and it, it, creates a, it creates a barrier between us and God. But I think the thing is that we can kind of like look and go, mm, well, I don't think I've got any unforgiveness in, in my heart. Like, I don't really think I've got any unforgiveness. But I think when, I, when we first got married, uh, you know, well, I don't know what it's like for everyone else, first year of marriage, but um, our first year of marriage, we, we just had like loads of like little bickers and, and little arguments because we were learning to live with each other and kind of getting used to each other's nuances and quirks. Probably I had more quirks than Dave had, but he had to bear with me a lot more. Um, but I remember, it was funny because I remember um, him saying, him saying, um, like we'd have an argument and it would always be late at night always it would just be just before we were going to bed be so annoying and David would say to me now we need to forgive each other and we can't go to bed on our anger and that would make me more angry (laughs) so I'd say I just want to go to sleep I just want to go to sleep just let me go to sleep and in the morning I will be fine and he said no we're not going to sleep until you've forgiven me or I've forgiven you or you know, whatever, and I'd be like, oh, Dave, really? It's really not that big a deal. Like, it's not that big a deal. And he'd say, no, like, we're not letting the sun go down our anger, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. And, uh, and I think what I learned in that, actually, what he taught me was that it can be the smallest thing, but actually the smallest thing can, can create a blockage and can actually give the enemy kind of the foothold to kind of get in and just run riot. And so actually what he taught me was that it's most, most important to keep short accounts. And actually, even if it's a small thing, to deal with it so that it doesn't become a big thing. And then there are other things in our lives that are big things because we've been hurt or we've been betrayed or we've been misunderstood or we've been disrespected or we've been taken for granted. All these things, and God knows that... um, these things, we don't just kind of sweep them under the carpet and say, oh, well, I forgive you, it's absolutely fine. Because we recognize that we're, we're people, that we have feelings, and they have an impact on us. And Jesus knows that because, you know, I mean, he, he didn't sin, he didn't not forgive, but he did experience betrayal and he did experience these things. So he knows 
how they feel, but he also teaches us that we need to really, really, really forgive because it, it creates that free flow between us and God and between us and each other. So we're coming into land because we're running out of time, but I wanted us just to take a little bit of time to just really kind of just be before God and just examine our hearts and ask God whether there's any areas of um, unforgiveness that we have in our lives, whether there is someone that we need to forgive, whether it was a really small thing or a big thing, or whether there is a wrong kind of attitude or a bad attitude that's come because um, because we've been hurt or because things. And there's three things that we can do. There's One is we can obviously just bring them to God. Um, we, we're going to do that in a minute. And we can just deal with it between us and God. And actually no one else ever needs to know because that is just it. Like God's just saying, actually, I can just deal with this. I can deal this with you. Or we can go to our brother or sister who's offended us and we can talk about it. Um, and if I had more time, I guess I'd just say, I th- that's obviously biblical, and it talks about, you know, leaving your, your gift at the altar and going and making right with your brother and sister, or, um, you know, also about, you know, go privately and go and speak to the person. But I would just say, let's just remember that we just got to know whether it's a speck or a plank in our own eye, and whether the issue is with us or whether it's really with them before we go. And I just think, I just would give a word of warning. I think it's right and it's biblical and we need to sort things out with each other. But let's just remember, I also loved Anthony's kind of four quadrant speak the truth and love thing. If you've not seen it, have a look at it. Or the third thing is, is that we do live in a community and he gives us each other and we get to walk this journey of life together. And I actually think it's okay for us to talk to each other about these things. And it's okay to kind of help each other in that journey. And the only thing I would say about that is, again, let's just choose the people that we share this with really wisely. Because, you know, when I was speaking the other week about Naaman and about how are we surrounding ourselves with people who just kind of puff us up and kind of just go along with what we think and we miss the healing because they just go, oh, yeah, I I don't like the way Elisha kind of did that either. Or are we surrounding ourselves with people who will push us closer to, to God and to and to make the godly choices. So, just going to just bring this into land just by just spending just a quick moment together. And, you know, if this isn't anything that speaks to you, then that's fine. But I did really feel as I was preparing this that there were, you know, there were some things that God wanted to deal with us, deal in us this morning and and he does that gently and so let's just take just a few minutes just of quiet and we just want to ask the holy spirit just to just to bring into our minds either show us faces or give us names of people that we maybe need to forgive so that we can unblock our own personal well, but also so that we can strive for greatness as a church and not allow unforgiveness or disunity to block our well. And if God has shown you anything or anyone, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer 
with me and you can do it in your head so that people don't hear. But just repeat after me as we say, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I choose to forgive and then you fill in the blank. I choose to forgive this person for you fill in the blank. And I release him or her in Jesus' name. I choose to bless in Jesus' name. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for where I have held unforgiveness or bitterness towards them. Amen.